Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, your Monday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Monday, June the 15th. It has now been 96 days since the Philadelphia Flyers played their last NHL game. Of course, that was on March 10th against the Boston Bruins. We'll talk about the Bruins in this episode along with Bill Meltzer as we talk about the Jack Adams. And NHL training camps are now just 24 days away as Phase 3 protocol will go into effect coming up on July 10th. This podcast brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter at Yingling Beer. A lot to get into. We're going to talk about Elaine Vigneault, this Flyers coaching staff, and Bill Meltzer going to join us. And we're going to make the call. We're going to decide. It's been talked about in NHL circles. It's been voted on on Twitter polls from NHL Network as well about Elaine Vigneault capturing his second Jack Adams Award. And joining us right now here on Flyers Daily to talk about that and much more is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. How about you? We're doing well. We're ticking down the days. I mentioned right off the hop uh, that we're getting closer and closer now, just 24, 25 days away from Phase 3 protocol. But it's been 96 days since we have seen an NHL game. All the way back on March 10th for the Flyers against the Boston Bruins. Um you know, in a normal summer, Bill, it's about three months. Uh, but this feels longer, doesn't it? It, it really does. It, uh, you know, it, it it almost, by the time they, they play again, even by the time they're in camp, it'll feel like, you know, a, a whole different season. You know, it, it, it feels, it, the last game against Boston feels like ancient history just because of what's gone on, you know, around the league, you know, with the, with the stoppage, what's gone on in, in our country, around the world, it just, it feels like a different world, not just a different season. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, we're starting to get some clarity, Bill. Maybe we get more information this week from the NHL uh, regarding the two hub cities. Uh, but there was a report out of the Las Vegas Review-Journal that uh, Vegas will be confirmed to be one of the hub cities uh, for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, they'll be notified at the latest June 22nd. Chris Johnston from Sportsnet.ca reporting that could actually come a lot sooner than that. Um, I guess they're just trying to work out the details on that second hub city, which is presumably somewhere relative to the East Coast. Yeah, I, the, the word for a while has been that Toronto is the NHL's top reference. Um, you know, it, uh, there still is the possibility that the Eastern teams will be sent West and the West teams will go to the East because they can they can you know tinker with the starting times of games with no fans in the stands. So the time difference would, would make much difference to the players. Everybody's in the same boat and they could hear the TV times. And then, and then you don't end up with the situation of a, a team potentially playing in its home rank, at least not till they sound like a finals. Yeah. And, and I guess they would see that as some sort of uh, advantage for, for whatever team. The one thing I'm kind of interested in is it, when they announce the two hub cities, will they announce where the cup final will be? Because will that be maybe a third hub city or, do they hold off on that until you get to a conference final? Maybe in, in perhaps hopes that they could play in, in home rinks. We'll see. I, I don't know. I haven't heard much about that. I don't know if you have. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, Bill Daly had addressed that where he said that that possibility will be held out, but that's uh, it's relatively unlikely at this point. That doesn't seem to be plan A at the moment, just, um, you know, just in terms of being able to plan ahead for something like that. But I think they're going to keep their options open if that is possible. You know that that would be that would be a nice way to reward a team. You know, two teams really, the two teams from each conference being able to play in their home building. So that uh, you know, it, it, whether fans would be allowed or not, I guess would also have to remain to be seen. But I I don't think it's completely off the table. But it doesn't sound like that's you know 
regarded as the most likely of possibilities. I think the most likely of possibilities is that they'll remain in one of the chosen hub cities, but I, I think they might hold off in choosing where the finals will be. Yeah, that's probably it's a prepare for the worst case scenario and hope for the best. Uh, yeah. Do some preparation on that regard as well. Uh, Bill, also uh, one of the things NHL players are uh, in need of uh, visa extensions have been highly encouraged to return to their NHL markets um, to get that process going. The you know their work year technically ends June 30th on a normal season. That's not going to be the case this year. Um, now that we have a, a firm date of July 10th for Phase Three and mandatory training camp. Do you expect to see these uh, sessions in phase two, these optional skates in phase two, uh, starting to get a little bit more populated, if you will? I, I think uh, I do think so. And I think rather quickly as well. Um, there are still things to be clarified in terms of um, in terms of quarantine you know, as to uh, I, I know that's one of the issues, particularly with why with the hold up of Toronto is uh, players coming from U.S. based training camps to going to Toronto. Uh, would be subject to that 14-day quarantine, as at least as of now, unless that uh, unless that changes. And also, players who would be traveling back from Europe would be subject to it potentially as well. So I, I think that that's one of the reasons why I want to get players back. Also, they have a fixed date. They know they know July 10th will be the start of camp. And for the same reason, you see more and more players come in before the start of camp in September. I think you'll see the same thing here too. Uh, before phase three starts, and I, I think it's going to pick up rather quickly. I think each week the the number of players that uh, will be will be at uh, well in the Flyers' case, the skate zone Voorhees, I think you'll see it increase significantly. Yeah, I'm expecting that as well, and that's uh, all good signs pointing towards the return of the sport to the ice. While baseball continues to just flounder, um, it's amazing the difference in the way these two leagues have handled this pandemic and and the fallout and and work together to try and get it back on the ice. Bill, before we get to the Jack Adams and Elaine Vigneault and his coaching staff, um, I, I was just kind of digging through some numbers, and, and I wanted to run something by you because I, I'm really astounded by it. Um, the Flyers with 89 points through those 69 games, we know they're fourth in the conference and the success that they've had this year, second in the division, just one point back of the Washington Capitals. Um, do you ever recall a Flyer team that has this kind of, I asked you last week, do you have this kind of organizational depth? About, how about, about this kind of spread, you know, spread out scoring? Their highest point man on the team in 69 games, through 69 games for the team, is Travis Konechny, who's played 66 with 61 points. Uh, the highest goal scorer on this team is 24 goals. And as I look at teams across the league, I look at, you know, Boston, and they have David Pasternak, who's got 48 goals and 95 points, and Marchand's got 87 points, and Bergeron's missed games, but he's got 56. Uh, but there's there's not that superstar at the top, but it's rather spread throughout the lineup. And it, it, it's almost like look at all these teams, the top teams in the, in the NHL, and they all have one of those guys, whether it's in Tampa with Kucherov or Stamkos. You know, some of them have several. But the Flyers really are balanced. No, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, to, to further your point, the Flyers don't have anyone in the top 30 in, in scoring in the league. But even so, you know, if you look at goals per game, the Flyers are seventh in the league, almost, almost 330 a game. So, you know, that, that really speaks to the depth they have, that different lines step up, different players, you know, on, on different nights. Um, also getting contributions you know, from the, the blue line as well, guys like Provorov and, you know, Niskanen's chipped in and, and that kind of thing. Um, Sandheim some nights. Yeah, the highest scoring yeah. defensive core in the league. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's been that's been a huge piece of it. You know, the getting getting offense from the, from the back end, getting goals from 
you know, at least three different lines, and sometimes even the fourth line has been chipping in. And that, that really is – that makes the team hard to play against. Um, you'd love to have that superstar who's up near the top of the league. I mean, you know, Claude Giroux ha- has in the past been one of those guys who's up, up near the top of the league. But, uh, you know, he's, he's sacrificed a bit of offense this year. Um, you know, and obviously a guy, a guy like uh, Voracek has had better point totals than this year. But uh, you know when you look when you look in terms of the depth line after line and getting getting some scoring from you know middle of the lineup guys even even a guy like uh, Abe Kubel has chipped in goals this year too a little bit unexpectedly so you know I, I think that that bodes well you do have to go back a while since the Flyers have had that kind of depth in the lineup where uh, you know it could be any number of different lines and in some ways in some ways it reminds me of the uh, the team in in 2003-04 they came a, a win short of the finals um that that year um you know everybody bought in the Ken Hitchcock system they had guys who had been big scorers in the past but those years you know you look at that year guys like Ronick and Racky didn't have a huge point years that year but they had you know but they had depth down the lineup and i think that's a that's a really really key factor along with goaltending too to being a being a hard team to play against yeah, and I have to look back at that team because I'd be interested to see where they scored uh, as per you know per league average, where they kind of fell in. Are you talking about the o two o three season? Uh, o three o four. The, the o three o four. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. When they lost so, Tampa Bay yeah. and Seth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that team um, in scoring in, in around the league in total goals through eighty two games. Um, Ken Hitchcock's known for his defensive systems, but the Flyers finished about, it looks like about 10th that year. Right. Uh, they finished with a 229 goals. They have 232 goals this year um, through uh, 69 games. So uh, there's the difference there. And, and look, the game's different now as well. But still, uh, it, it's it's really interesting when I see that and I go, wow, that's, that's crazy to me when I see so many of these teams with the superstar. But what's the harder team to play against in the playoffs? And to me, it's the one with depth. And that's what brings us right to Elaine Vigneault. Because you just mentioned it, and the Flyers lead the NHL in scoring from the blue line. Um, and they get in this depth scoring, and a coach recognizes that, and that gives him a, an added ability to roll lines. What's been the single most thing that's been impressive for you about Elaine Vigneault since his hire um, behind the bench? We're going to talk about off, from not behind the bench with the media and everything else separately, but behind the bench, you know, tactically, what's been the most impressive element? Well, I think it's the way he's gotten the entire team to buy into his system. And the, you know, there's any number of, of stats and indicators you can look at that show that. But to me, the two things that, that speak the most to that is that the Flyers a year ago had the 29th goals against the NHL, which is over 340. This year, they're, this year they're, they're in the top seven. You know, they've, they've shaved almost three quarters of a goal a game off of it. And the, the other thing that goes along with that is that the Flyers are, are the stingiest team in the NHL in terms of allowing shots on goal. Um, they, they've actually allowed the fewest per game in the league. Um, last year, the Flyers were 27th in that category. So you're buying into, you know, has everybody buying into playing Team D. Um, you know, obviously, having stable goaltending help, helps a lot with that too, but that doesn't really help in shots against. And um, they add in that they're, they're scoring more. You know, they moved up, I think, 11 spots offensively this year, and we just talked about how they're, they don't have the superstar, you know, forward line. So you know, the, uh, you you combine all that, and it, you know, you see that well, you know, they play what thirteen fewer games this year, and they have mm-hmm. four games and seven more points than a year ago. Uh, it it would, would screams coaching, doesn't it? 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Flyers would have had 106 points prorated over an 82 game season. And, um, you know, and I, it's not like, you know, the other thing too, with Vino too, is you look at his pedigree and his history. Um, if he is, if he's a finalist this year, Jason, it'll be the fifth time he's been a finalist in his career for the fourth different team. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that speaks to his ability to work with, you know, widely different groups of players. It would be the second time he'd win it. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's up in some pretty elite company if he does win it a second time. There have not been many coaches that have won it two or more times. So, As a matter of fact, only one that's won it three times in Pat Burns, uh, and only, I believe, two that have won it back-to-back. But uh, to be nominated that many times through different uh, iterations of the NHL, too, the game has changed in that period. He won his, what, back in 06, 07 in Vancouver, if I recall, Bill? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And I, I thought... I thought the year that the Rangers won the President's Trophy, he should have won that year too. Mm. They were you know, they were a machine that year. But um, yeah, that uh, he he wanted he wanted his in Vancouver when they had uh, you know they had the best record in the league that year. They really should have gone. That that team was really had that team was stacked and looked looked poised. I thought they were they were better than the team that uh, you know almost almost beat Boston in the finals a few years later. And that was another year actually where where Vino was a finalist, but. You know, when you look at you look at his body of work, I mean, he's an elite coach in the league. Uh, just just the just the amount of times he's been nominated for the Jack Adams speaks to that. So, you know, that that's something where you know you can say the Flyers hired a really top top end head coach, and and he's proven it here. The proof is in you know, it's in the team's record, and it's in the num it's in the numbers just underneath that record. I, you know, I think he's done just a phenomenal job. There there are other coaches that are certainly worthy of consideration. You know, our old friend Craig Berube, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, hardest thing to do after you win a cup is to defend it, and they've been a dominant team this year. And you know, look look at Boston, the only team with with a hundred points. I mean, it's not a it's not a slam dunk that AV is going to win it, but to me, he should be right in that conversation up near the top at least. Yeah, and you can got to consider Mike Sullivan really maybe the job he did in the first half with so many injuries um, with Pittsburgh with without Malkin for a period of time without Crosby and they flourished at that time really since they got people back they haven't been as good um, John Tortorella for what he's accomplished and Columbus is another guy that'll get consideration as well um, we'll ultimately see because the NHL awards ballots are due on this day Monday uh, Jan or June fifteenth. Um, Bill, um, you know, the, we just talk about Vino and you talk about what he has accomplished this year and and how impressive it has been for the Philadelphia Flyers. And, you know, they that 41-21-7 and seven record, but 19-6-1 since January 8th, when maybe it took a little time for everybody to kind of understand the system and play the system without thinking, um, playing their best hockey at the right time of year, and um, to, to get another kick at it here for, for Lane Vino. We'll see if he does, in fact, win it. Um, the biggest intangible to me, uh, aside from behind the bench, Bill, though, has been the accountability factor and the it, he has a weird ability to me to hold everyone to the same standard but handle every player differently. And that's a hard thing to do with professional athletes, especially in the year 2020. I think he he pulls it off perfectly. He really does. You know, he had some, I'm sure, were difficult conversations with established players on the team. When he's had to call them out, he has. Uh, I, I think one of the, uh, you know, best examples of handling players this year uh was when guys like Giroux and, and Voracek and um actually Kevin Hayes at that time you know they were they were in a little bit of offensive slump and you know the Flyers needed a little bit more out of those guys and he made AV made a really 
did a really good job of making sure they understood it was nothing personal. Actually, it's like, you know, I, I remember saying like, you know, I love the people. I think they're all great people. You know, I need a little bit more from the hockey players. And they responded to it. You know, it, it was saying that, you know, nothing personal. This is professional, but we, you know, we need more out of you. And, you know, he's had, when he's benched guys, it, it you know, it's more, it's been more of a one game thing, you know, where it, it hasn't lingered as long as the guy bounces back and performs. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the way he's, the way he's handled his bench in games, having, having a feel for who's going well that night, which, you know, some coaches, uh, they, they go, in, go in with their game plan. They don't like to deviate from it very much. When he's had to, he does. And, you know, when, when he's had to juggle lines, he does that. And when a line is going well, he, he, you know, he doesn't overcoach it. He, he, leaves, it, he leaves it alone for, you know, until till he has to make a change. I mean, all of those, all of those things, the, uh, there's the, you know, you, you can win with a lot of different systems. I, I like Vigneault's system just because of the, an up-tempo style. Um, I, I, like how, I like how aggressive the penalty kill has been. I, I like how effective the forecheck has been. They create a lot of turnovers. Um, the Flyers get a lot more puck possession than they got even a year ago. I mean, all, all those things that go into the, you know, into the technical aspects of the game, he's very good at too. But also in just in terms of the people management that, that come with experience, uh, I, think he, I think he relates well with his assistant coaches. And, you know, the other thing he says too, he says it quite a bit. He says the talent has no age. And when young players have played to a high level, he plays them. And and I think all of those things, all of those things to me, you know, uh, support the idea of him being a really high end coach. Yeah, Bill, that's interesting. The talent has no age elements. It's exactly what I wanted to ask you about next, because one of the uh, critiques or criticisms of Elaine Vino when he was hired was, well, he doesn't play young players. And this is a Flyers team um, that has got a, a very, very deep prospect pool. And you're going to need to play young players and develop young players in the NHL further development in the NHL needs to take place for players to become really good players. And when I look at the season that Travis Konechny had, which landed him in his first NHL all-star game, when I look at the way he handled the situation with you have really young players like Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost, when I look how he handled Ivan Provorov and you got to give the general manager a tip of the cap to bring Matt Niskanen to help with that process as well. And I see all these players have, market improvement, including Travis Sanheim, Phil Meyer. I mean, the list goes on, right? And these are young players. These are very important years in their NHL development. And I think as, as difficult as some of those conversations are with veteran players and high-paid players, those conversations with that younger core maybe is just as important, if not more important, because it portends well for your future. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, these young players, uh, they're used to th- things going their way they're used to scoring a lot uh at lower levels um you know they have to bring a a level of not just performance but also be able to replicate that performance day in and day out and there's a grind of a long season um you know i I thought one of the most telling things this season was uh listening to kevin hayes talk about playing for av because he Mm -hmm. had the experience of playing for him as a young player in new york and he was av was hard on him you know, he was not a 200-foot player when, uh, when A.V. first had him in New York. He was, he was a goal scorer in college and, and um, you know, was not really that interested in playing both ends of the ice. And sometimes he had to be dragged kicking and screaming. And, you know, there were things that maybe um, 
no, actually, I know for sure that Hayes didn't like at the time because he said as much. And now he, he looks back and he said, well, you know what? He's made me a better hockey player. And, you know, building, building those kind of relationships over time where the player understands that it's ultimately for their benefit as they develop. I mean, hearing, hearing a veteran like Hayes say, you know, I played for him at the start of my career and I played for him now and I, I, see, I see what he was getting at. I think that rubs off on other players. And, um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly he's shown that, that if you play well, you will get all the ice time, all the ice time you want, and you need. And if you don't play well, you won't. And that's, um, you know, it, it sounds simple, but sometimes, sometimes when you have an established group of players on a team, that's easier said than done. It's, um, it's to the, uh, I, I think a testament to the players that they've bought in, uh, really they had no choice to some degree because, you know, hey, hey, that's that's been the group, right? That's been your your core group for a number of years, and the Flyers haven't won a playoff series since 2012. So, you know, they had to embrace trying things a little bit different way, rethinking how they approach each game, each shift. And I mean, it, it's really it's really borne fruit this year. You know, one of the one of the hidden stats uh, that that uh, I, I think is quite telling for the team, and we talked about this on an earlier podcast, is that. Uh, Flyers players almost top to bottom in the lineup. They're skating the same number of shifts that they skated uh, a year or two ago, but their shifts are shorter. And skating shorter shifts means that you multiply that out over a game, over a number of games. They're fresher in third period. But well, who who's been the best third period team in the NHL this year? It's been the Flyers. Yeah, that's a great point. And yeah, if if you can do that and pull it off, and sometimes it's hard to get players to come off the ice. <laughs> you know, they just don't, players sometimes don't want to get off the ice because they want to win the battle, but not, not necessarily win the war. That's a team with the mentality to win the war. Bill, the, the Jack Adams war comes into the NHL in 1974. And the first winner of the Jack Adams trophy is none other than Fred Shiro for the Flyers. The Flyers have four past winners, Shiro in 73, 74, then all the way in 1980, Pat Quinn, he takes that team to the Stanley Cup Finals against uh, the New York Islanders, who will go on to win four straight. And then in 1985, Mike Keenan is your winner. And then it Flyers go in a nice drought there with the coach of the year. Then Bill Barber wins it in 2000, 2001. And they've got another opportunity with, uh, with Elaine Vigneault to win it here for the Flyers in, in 2020. It'll be interesting to see how the voting plays out. Do, do we know when we're going to get the results of the, uh, uh, the awards? Well, I, I think that they will wait. To announce them, I mean, of course, they typically announce them after the playoffs at, at the award ceremony. There won't be an NHL awards, so oh. it's possible they could they could announce it before the playoffs start, just because they won't have the the NHL awards. But I think they I think they like to build a little suspense. Have a uh, you know they'll announce who the finalists are, and then maybe maybe uh, after the finals are completed, ahead of the draft, they'll announce who won. That'll be uh, you know. A bit of a weight on it, but I, I think that they'll, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. We'll see. We'll see where, we'll see, we'll see when that announcement makes, you know, when they make their, make their announcements, uh, next batch of announcements, they, they may announce uh, in addition to, to a date for the draft. They might also announce when the uh, awards will be decided. Also, uh, just one other point real fast is that, you know, if AV wins this year, the Flyers will have won more. Jack Adams awards are coaches than any other team in the NHL. They're in a three-way tie now for, for first. I think it's Detroit and Coyote. And the Coyote, oddly enough, the Coyotes, right? Yeah. Amazing. And uh, yeah, they can get their fifth this year with Elaine Vigneault and and it could be a double dip year as well, Bill, where the couple of flyers are uh, 
winners at come awards night. And that could be obviously Elaine Vigneault for the Jack Adams and Sean Couturier for the Selkie. Yeah. And, you know, and you also never know how a mastered and trophy vote is going to go, but I mean, uh, you know, Oscar Limbaum certainly has a case too. If Oscar doesn't, you know, he doesn't win it this year and he's able to come back next year. I think he would, I think he'd be a pretty well a shoe in to win it. Um, you know, and a word like the master, you know, they're really everybody nominated is worthy, you know, so from, from all 31 teams has, has a case for it. Uh, I think Jay Bowmeister might be the guy who wins it this year, but Oscar yeah. certainly is deserving of consideration, maybe even might be a finalist. It, it's nice to being able, it's nice to be able to talk about flyers, players, you know, being up for awards. Of course, Couturier was a finalist, finals for the Selkie two years ago, but it's been, been some years since you were talking about multiple people with the Flyers, you know, being being up for consideration. Also, Chuck Fletcher for GM of the year too. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you look at all the moves that he's made in the sh- the short time that he's been here. Uh, you know, the first really big move of substance was the hiring of this coaching staff with uh, Elaine Vigneault and assembling it with Michelle Terry and Mike Yo and uh, retaining uh, Ian LaPerriere, a past Masterton winner, by the way, and also uh, Kim Dillaball. So. Um, it kind of comes full circle, if you will, and we'll see uh, if the NHL decides to wait on that information. It would be good banter for us here, uh, maybe around uh, July 6th, <laughs> leading into July 10th in training camps is what I think. But uh, I'll put a call on to Gary Bettman and uh, make my recommendation. We'll see if he follows it. <laughs> Somehow I don't think he's going to take the call. Um, Bill, the uh, other thing is, is uh, training camp, the countdown is on. Players are going to get into the camp and um, – it's getting real, man. It's getting real close. Um, have you allowed yourself now that we have a definitive date to start to get excited? Because it's hard to get excited before. You know the intention is there that it's they want to come back and the lengths they're willing to go. And you also had the variable uh, of the uh, COVID-19 situation, which we didn't – there's no control over um, by our own – you know, it, you don't know where it's going to go or how it's going to develop. And we still don't to some extent, but um, the fact that you have this date and a – you know, something circled on the calendar. Have you allowed yourself to start to get excited for the return and culmination of this 2019-20 season? Oh, absolutely. It, it started to feel real. You know, it's it, it, uh, the first inklings of that is uh, when Phase 2 started, and then, then there's a date for Phase 3, and you have it on the calendar, and you know, you know, that's that's when uh, Vino and everybody will be, be back on the ice and preparing to play, and that's... Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. You're getting the first inklings of that. And to me, it'll really start to feel real when they announce the hub cities and, and, and phase four, because that's when uh, then that's what you're counting down towards. You know, now it's it's almost like that phase when you're, uh, you know, just itching for camp to start a, a few weeks ahead of it. And you have that have that circled and, you know, you, you can't wait. That's uh, kind of the kind of the uh, stage that I'm in here. Certainly, you know, certainly thinking hockey and waiting, you know, waiting kind of impatiently for for that day, but at least, uh, at least you can count it down every day. Right. That's, uh, yeah. As opposed to that indefinite time period that just, it wears on you. Yeah, it does. That was a welcome email last week from the NHL offices saying that the phase three was going into effect. And, uh, we anticipate phase four, uh, likely sometime probably around August 1st. And, uh, that's when they'll get this whole thing underway. And, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll see how the Flyers handle this situation. We'll see how a lot of teams handle this situation. And we'll see if that depth that we talk about, that we talked about in this episode, is something that's truly going to be a difference maker for this team. Bill, this was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate you jumping on. We'll see if Elaine Vigneault, in fact, does come out on top for the uh, Jack Adams and the Coach of the Year. 
Uh, I know a lot of us here in Philadelphia believe that he absolutely deserves it, and a lot of people around the NHL are giving him notice as well. Thanks for doing this, and we'll talk to you next time. Awesome, man. Special thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us here on Flyers Daily, which is brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Hey, Philly fans, grab a cold Yingling and elevate your taste because this isn't just a beer. It's a lager. It's time to spread your wings, Yingling Traditional Lager. Follow them on Twitter at Yingling Beer. We'll be back with another all-new episode of Flyers Daily coming up on Wednesday. In the meantime, everybody stay healthy, and thanks for listening. could could use a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy Working on mysteries without any clues 